Well, good morning. My name is Jacob Beach, and I'm one of the pastors on staff here at the church. And who here is a runner? Or who out there watching this video is a runner? I know lots of people are running these days, working towards a goal, doing some physical fitness. I see y'all out there putting your runs on Instagram. Now, I personally, I used to be a runner. Uh, I ran on the track and cross-country teams when I was a kid. I ran half marathons and 5Ks and 10Ks. I, <clears throat> I actually once ran a mile in five minutes, five minutes and one second. I like to say uh, that it was just five minutes. I used to put in like 100 miles or more in a month. And I was never very fast in any of the races, but I was in good running shape. But then something happened. I started to get older, my metabolism slowed down a little bit, I started playing basketball more, I wasn't running as much, I wasn't really dedicated to it. Uh, I had some pretty intense back, and still really, uh, intense back and knee uh, issues and surgeries and procedures, all these different things. And so fast forward to now, and I'll be honest with you, I ain't no runner, not me. Uh, not in running shape, but I did recently, just uh, about two or three weeks ago, I decided to try to start running again. And to be more specific, it's more like uh, walking fast and then running for like 10 minutes and then walking again. <laughs> and what I'm finding is that I'm not in the same kind of running shape that I used to be. I'm not as fast. I don't have the same endurance. Uh, my body makes noises and it feels things when I run that I never used to feel when I was younger. And I've realized that I need to be honest with myself about running. I'm not someone who can just go out there and run a super fast 5K without training. I'm not someone who can uh, run a seven minute mile without even thinking about it. Um, I have to take an honest account of myself and realize that I need to do things that I can do. And for me, that means keeping my runs under two miles. It means running maybe a mile really hard. It might take me 10 minutes. Uh, it's not only that, but it's also recognizing that there may be better things for me to focus my energy on. And that doesn't mean not working out, but I do need to recognize that, that it's, it's not just going to uh, be a thing that's easy for me anymore, something I can just hang my hat on. And I know that this is a, a, a sort of self-deprecating uh, opening example, but I don't, mind, uh, uh, I don't mind it all that much that I'm not a great runner in her anymore. Uh, but ultimately, this morning, where we're headed in Philippians 3 is a specific encouragement to be honest with ourselves. And more than just simply being honest with ourselves, we'll see in this passage that there's an invitation uh, to strive and engage with God honestly and genuinely. And because at the end of the day, Christianity is not an impersonal faith, but rather our faith is one of striving as real people with a real God. So let's look at our passage. Uh, thankfully, uh, Pastor Mike uh, read it. It's a big chunk, uh, so I won't reread it uh, in its entirety, but we will um, uh, jump around uh, to a couple verses and themes in this passage. We'll be taking it in two parts uh, verses 1 through 6, and then verses 7 to the end. So Paul here is writing to the Philippian church from prison. He's encouraging them to embrace the gospel message that Christ died for them and that God loves them. He encourages them to embrace healthy humility as Christ did. He challenges them to care for each other and be a loving community, both inwardly and outwardly. And now we get to chapter 3, and Paul 
brings a gracious yet serious warning and an invitation in that warning. And likewise, because we believe that the Bible is God's word to and for his people, uh, God is speaking to us in this passage as well. So let's begin by looking at verses 1 through 6. Uh, Paul begins this passage of the letter with a warning uh, against what he terms in verse 2 as dogs, evildoers, and mutilators of the flesh. These are some people, a, a group seemingly, that is giving trouble to the Philippian church. Now these opponents of the gospel, they're not unfamiliar uh, to other churches and other leaders that Paul wrote to during this time. We see them mentioned in Corinthians, in Galatians, in Titus, and they're even mentioned uh, later on in the book of Acts. And this is a group of very religious, religious, excuse me, religious Jews, that's hard to say, uh, who became Christians. And, and while they uh, 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 sort of made the assumption uh, that, the, that the trouble that they were causing, we can make the assumption that the trouble that's being caused uh, uh, in, the, in the Philippian church by, these, uh, by this group of uh, religious Jews, we might think that it's criticism against Jesus' work, uh, uh, or their desire, perhaps, to lessen an all-encompassing message of the gospel, but it's actually the opposite. They were adding requirements to the Christian faith. They were making it harder. They were raising the bar. They were suggesting that uh, the only way to be accepted by God was to trust in the life, death, and resurrection of Christ, and, on top of that, be zealous adherence to the Jewish laws. This includes circumcision, of course why they were termed flesh mutilators. Now this, of course, is contrary to the gospel message that says you need to merely admit your need for Christ and believe in his power, receive his free gift of salvation and spiritual renewal. And basically they were teaching that you need outward markers, you need quantifiable indicators of true faith to be saved and part of the Christian community. Now, Paul refutes this simply in verse 3 by saying, it's not those who boast in their own accomplishments who should be confident in their personal righteousness, but rather those who boast in Christ's accomplishments. It's the age-old conversations that we humans love to have. We, we really have a difficult time with the fact that we don't have to do anything to prove to God that we're worthy of his love, his care, his salvation. And let me say that again, we don't have to do anything. We don't have to do anything to be found worthy of salvation because the results are in, you aren't worthy. You aren't good enough. You can't accomplish enough. You can't merit enough. You can't earn enough righteousness. Paul here is refuting the opponents by saying, it's not about what you achieve but it's about what you receive. And because that is true, and you don't have to take my word, you don't have to take my word for it. It's it's plastered all over the New Testament. But because this is true, to add anything, to add to the gospel message of free grace and credited righteousness is pointless. Imagine with me uh, uh, this idea. Imagine with me you are hosting a party at your house, and you're in the kitchen. And in the kitchen is Gordon Ramsay and Ina Garten and Dave Chang. 
And they're just over here, they're putting on an absolute show. They're making perfectly seared steaks. The lobsters are boiling in the pot. They've got flawlessly creamy mashed potatoes, scallops, baked veggies, effortlessly crispy fried chicken. Gordon's Beef Wellington is there. Dave's Ramen Bowls are there. Ina's, literally anything that Ina makes is wonderful. Let's say her chocolate cake is there. And uh, there's a salad too. I know anyone who knows me knows I don't, eat, <laughs> I don't eat salads, but I feel like if you're having a big party, you gotta have some salad. And while all of this is happening, and everyone is watching, everyone is enjoying this, this beautiful feast that is about to begin, you roll in with a plate and you say, hey everybody, Look at what I've got here. I've got celery with peanut butter. And I know, I know, I know it's impressive, but don't sleep because look, I got ants on this log. I got ants on this log. That's right, chocolate chips. Is your mind blown? You know exactly what the reaction would be. It would be get this weak stuff out of here. Do you think that you need to add something so small to this abundant feast? No, let the chefs cook. And that's what's going on here. Paul is saying, don't put confidence in yourself. Put confidence in the finished work of Jesus Christ. Because what can you add to that work? And he drives this point home in the following verses by throwing down his own personal resume. And just to note here, before we go over this uh, short list, remember that it was the, uh, the Jewish faith, the Jewish people who were God's people uh, up to this point in time. So all of Paul's religious accomplishments are Jewish-focused uh, 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 and, and wouldn't have been very Christian at that point. So he says this. He says, here's my resume. Circumcised on the religiously best day. Born of the elite heritage stock of the tribe of Benjamin the top of the class among religious Jews, an expert in tradition and practice, a loyal devotee of the Jewish law, better than anyone else, so religiously zealous for the Jewish law that when Christianity came about, he looked to suppress the uprising against his faith by harshly persecuting and even putting to death those who dared say Jesus was truly God. Paul threw down his, record, his, his report card and he said, what do you know about a 4.0? I don't miss. Use any type of measurement, any type of metric. Paul had you beat. He did everything imaginable. And Paul is using this technique to actually show that it's not about what you bring to the table. Again, it's not about what you achieve, but it's about what you receive. And he continues to drive home this point in verses 7 and 9. He says, But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. Paul's saying, whatever was on my religious resume before God, I now count it all as loss. I consider anything and everything as less than because of the surpassing worth and power and joy of Jesus that 
of what he has done, what Jesus has done for Paul. Paul says, anything that I bring to the table of righteousness and salvation, I throw it in the trash because I could never do anything that comes close to what Christ has already done for me. Paul didn't say his accomplishments were pointless, but rather he said that compared to knowing Christ and what he had done for him, nothing even comes close. Nothing holds a candle to what Christ has done on his behalf. Paul follows this up in verse 12, saying, Not that I've already obtained this or I've already achieved my goal, but I press on to take hold of that which Christ took hold of me. Then in verses 15, 16, and 17, I know we're moving, but stick with me here. Those mature in the faith should take such a view of themselves and God. Let us live up to what we have already attained. Join with me in this, brothers and sisters. Now there are two things that I want to draw out of this passage that we just overviewed this morning. And the first thing is that Christianity is not an invitation to an impersonal faith. While the opponents of the Philippian church were making arguments that Christians needed stronger resumes to be accepted by God, the reason, excuse me, the response to that opposition was not to say that you don't matter at all. Even though God doesn't need our resumes, our accomplishments, our boasts, our personal holiness to accept us, he doesn't need you to prove that you're worthy because ultimately you won't be able to stack up to the, to the holiness, to the worthiness of Christ on your behalf, standing before the Lord, covering your whole life with his perfect, sinless holiness. But this truth doesn't mean that you don't matter. It doesn't mean that what you bring to the table doesn't matter at all. Paul himself was keenly aware of his strengths and his weaknesses. He was honest, brutally honest, with how religiously zealous he was, including the misconceptions he had, including the grave mistakes that he made. He murdered. He was a murderer of Christians. And in knowing Christ, Paul became a truer version of himself, the person that God made him to be. And part of his encouragement and warning to the Philippians here is to, to, to know who they are. Know that you are loved by God. Know that Christ's faithfulness is enough for you. Know that the Spirit empowers you from within. And the invitation to us this morning is to also know ourselves. You have to know yourself. I, I think over the many centuries, we, have, we as Christians have, have perhaps lost or, or misconstrued this idea. Paul said that his personal strivings and accomplishments didn't end up making a difference when it came to salvation and his standing before God. However, it clearly affects the way that he lives and it clearly affects the way that we live. Being honest with ourselves is one of the greatest graces that we can give to ourselves. God knows our every thought, our every desire, our every intention, our every feeling, our every experience. And if that is true, 
And he still loves us. And he still rejoices over us. And he still lavishes his love on us. He still joyfully welcomes us to his family. Why would we need to lie to ourselves or to others? If it's good enough for God, why isn't it good enough for us? So this morning, in the spirit of this passage, I want to invite you not to lose yourself in your faith in Christ, but rather find yourself in your faith in Christ. This is not an impersonal faith journey that you're being invited into. It's a profoundly deep and wide faith. One that challenges us to serve the needy, to love our enemies, to be present, to to take heart in God's love for us, to teach and be taught, to, to share our true selves and to listen to others. This is profoundly personal. And we believe that God made each and every one of us. He infuses worth and value and life into our very being, our souls, our hearts, our minds, our bodies, our identities. This is profoundly personal. And he wants us to come to him with our whole selves. He wants to redeem every part of us. He wants us to live into the flourishing that he offers. He wants us to be happy and fulfilled and joyful and secure in our identities as his children. This is profoundly personal. It's so personal, in fact, that God himself entered into our world as one of us, as human. He embodied and incarnated his very own creation, lived as one of us, sinless, sacrificed himself so that we could experience these things. And there is no price to pay but bringing your whole, true, honest self to him. Your accomplishments, your sins, your fears, your pride, your ambitions, your aspirations, your everything. Bring them to him just as they are. No matter how unrefined, how defiled, how tarnished, how corrupt, he takes all comers with open arms and celebration. That's the gospel message. And that is the faith that we hold on to. And it's profoundly personal. And guess what? You don't have to be afraid. You can be completely honest with God. That's the second and final point this morning. Christianity is an invitation to strive with God honestly. I'll say that one more time. Christianity is an invitation to strive with God honestly. The Bible is full of of big-time Sunday school heroes giving God the business about how they don't like what he's doing or how, uh, how they don't like how something is going. They're brutally honest. They cried out to God for help. They were angry at God when, when his plans didn't line up with theirs. They abandoned responsibilities because they were scared. They made mistakes and they came to God with all of it. And you can too. We can do that. And you know what? We won't be struck down. We won't be struck down by by a divine lightning bolt from God because of your honesty with him. Because Jesus was already struck down in our place. 
He took the punishment. He took the blame. He was an innocent sacrifice for me. He did it for me. He did it for you. And because this is a personal faith, faith with names and faces and hearts and identities, God wants us to bring it all to him honestly. If you think that Christianity is about rules and measuring up and, and white-knuckled personal holiness and earning God's favor, then you aren't just a little ways off. You're a thousand miles off the mark. Those who believe in Christ are in the family of faith. You're in. In is in. Your acceptance into the family isn't in your power to control. Only God can give the gift of salvation. And he does so freely. So if you can't do anything to get into the family, what power do you think that you have to be expelled from the family? And I'm not talking here about a, a license to sin, a license to do whatever you want. I'm saying that God loves you so much. He cares for you so much. Jesus' sacrifice for you was so, so sufficient. The Spirit himself lives within you that you don't need anything else to be accepted and loved by God. So what does God want from you? He just wants your honesty. He just wants you to strive honestly. That is what the Christian life is about. Striving honestly to know God. Striving honestly to serve his people. Striving honestly to know ourselves. Striving honestly to love one another. To care for his creation. Not perfectly. Not faultlessly. But also not with a false identity not with an emotional or relational mask on. He wants us to strive honestly with him, with each other, with ourselves. Paul himself in this passage says that he hasn't arrived yet. He hasn't fully grasped every aspect of God. He continues to press on, continues to press on to make these truths his own. So I say it again to all of you, and I say it again to myself this morning, reading from verse 12. Not that I have already obtained all of this or, or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of it and make it my own. For Christ Jesus made me his own. I want to end this morning by inviting you to the same thing that God and Paul and this passage invites us to. I want to encourage you, don't be afraid to be honest with yourself. Don't be afraid to look inwardly at the parts of yourself that you don't love. Know that God made you exactly the way that you are. And that doesn't mean that everything about you is, is perfect. You're still human. But God made you the way that you are, and he made each and every one of us with the intent of being with us. He wants to be with us. He wants us. He wants to work through our mess. You don't have to be afraid that you're not perfect. Join the club. Welcome. Welcome. But I can tell you that the opposite isn't going to help you either. You can't earn it. 
You can't earn your salvation. You can't earn God's favor. No matter what you have on your resume, it's not enough. But what is enough is Jesus' work on your behalf. You don't have to have it all together. You need merely admit your neediness of him. And that's enough. That's enough. Admitting your neediness is enough for God. And after that, it's just honest striving. Honest striving. It's coming to the Lord day after day, needing more and more love, more and more grace, more and more guidance, more and more correction, more and more wisdom. That's what this Christian faith is. Over time, you will trust more and more in the gospel and in God himself. You may even see your life change. I have. And let me tell you, it hasn't been things that made me rich or famous. But it has been things that draw me closer to him. And I want to do that together. I want to do that in this community. I want to do that with all believers. So let's press on together, honestly. Because it's not about what you achieve, but about what you receive. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for your word speaking to us, encouraging us, leading us. And Lord, it's so difficult to be honest. It's difficult to be honest with ourselves. It's difficult to go inward and, and look at the, the parts of ourselves that are, are not very pretty. Uh, it's hard striving. Honestly, before you, you are a perfect God and I am this lowly human. We are these broken people and you want us to bring our brokenness to you, the perfect God. That seems crazy. But when we see what you did on the cross, when we see what you did in Christ, Jesus Christ, you came to us and you bridged that gap. And now you invite us to strive. So Lord, we ask you to give us the boldness the clarity, the willingness to strive honestly with you, with ourselves, and with others. We pray all these things in your name. Amen.